from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, Presidential Sketch Comedy and History for people who can't afford Hamilton. Today, in the run-up to World War II and Franklin Roosevelt's role in it, we present a special episode, The Run-Up to Franklin Delano Roosevelt's The War Years. Here again, along with the DB Comedy crew, DB Comedy resident historians Dr. Chelsea Denote and James McRae, and special guest historian Dr. Margie Rung of Roosevelt University in Chicago, Illinois. Part one, the buildup. Uh, so when we last left, uh, we were, well, let's see, we were sort of 1938, 1939, somewhere thereabouts, right? So let me start by throwing it up to anyone that had a question previously that can help us lead into the war. Please ask. Um, if I can, if I can exercise my prerogative for, you know, asking the stupid question that hopefully sparks discussion. Hey, Margie, would you say that the anti-communist fervor, the McCarthyism that uh, started, that uh, erupted after World War II were a bunch of, you know, it was like a after effect of the isolationism that immediately preceded World War II. People were feeling guilty. Oh, we missed the threat of Hitler. So let's overcompensate by, let's overcompensate by persecuting anyone who might even remotely say something kind about communism. Um, that's a, that's an interesting interpretation. I, I, uh, I guess what I would say is that that's, um, it's sort of largely depends on a, it's a psychological interpretation. In other words, I'm not entirely sure how you would prove that it's, it's now possible. The, is the isolationist aside from, of course, you know, Charles Lindbergh, the lone eagle, I mean, they were largely i mean it, it crossed party lines there were republicans obviously because they hate except for wendell wilkie they hated everything that roosevelt did it was there a usual anti-roosevelt coalition also isolationist um not necessarily i don't think that the southern democrats were were unified in in their isolationism i mean the general there's a general isolationism in the 1930s that kind of cuts across party lines mm -hmm. so i guess i wouldn't characterize um i wouldn't characterize anyone in congress as particularly aggressive in terms of their desire for intervention but I don't see the the interesting thing about Southern Democrats is that many of them were quite outspoken about the anti-Semitism that they saw in Germany, oddly enough. So really, yeah, it, I don't I don't have open in favor of or open. Yeah, I was going to ask, were they no, uh, outspoken no, with we agree with Hitler or no, they were critical <laughs> of them. Uh, oh, irony. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not but, not every single one, but a surprising. It, it's fine to criticize it when foreigners do it. <laughs> I was yeah. just uh, I was just curious because I was reading in the book you recommended, you know, rereading, you know, in Trader to his class. Yeah. 
about the neutrality. Wasn't there an official neutrality act passed right. circa 1936 that right. Roosevelt spent a good chunk of the next few years trying to get repealed or at least rewritten? Well, they can't a see you nodding, Margie. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You could, you could. Audio medium, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, so the Neutrality Act passed in 1935, and then there's a series of revisions to it um, in in the years afterward. And yes, it it I think expressed, as I said, the general sentiment of Congress and the American people that they weren't really interested in getting too involved in European affairs. Uh, I think a lot of that was, you know, was just a re reaction to World War One, the Great War, and a desire not to embroil themselves in what they see, they saw as uh, arguments and fights that they had no, no skin in the game for. So, and I also think that the depression, of course, is contributing to this as well, because the emphasis is on domestic policy, not on foreign policy, fix the depression at home. Was there a specific incident, an invasion or whatever that sparked the Neutrality Act? Yeah, so the Italy's invasion of Ethiopia, and and then in 1937, the Spanish Civil War. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those, those were the concerns. The muse for George Orwell and Ernest Hemingway and the clash. <laughs> <laughs> and Picasso. Um, oh, true. I don't uh, strictly think that we were in isolation economically. When did Lease and Lend begin? Or I'm sorry, Cash and Carry, the American. Started in 1939. Mm. So were we moving out or was that like sort of done without the consent of the American people at the time? Or are we moving out of our isolationism, excuse me? Uh, both. I think that the cash and carry passed Congress. Um, so that was not done under the table. But I think that Roosevelt was really pushing the envelope between 1939 and 1941 and oftentimes violating the spirit, if not the letter of the law. Um, and that was very problematic. I also, I, I think there was. And, and cash and carry was what other. Uh, sorry, uh, and cash and carry was what other than a good policy when you go to the bar? It was, uh, okay, so there was a policy basically that we could sell, like we could sell arms to com like powers that were involved in the war, but they had to transport it themselves and pay in cash, no credit. But we only did this for one side of the war. So it's sort of like, it's a stab at neutrality that is in no way neutral. We I mean, it's not British. It's, and it's not our fault British. that the Axis powers didn't speak English. <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> Part two, the election of 1940. So we're starting to get all of the, again, all of the tugs and pulls uh, that FDR and the country are feeling as we get to, uh, well, 1939 and uh, the invasion of Poland and the start of World War I in Europe. And, oh, yeah, here comes this election. What's World War II. World War II, yes. Did I, what did I say? 
one. World War One. Really? Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I can edit that. Yeah, I World guess, War I guess throwing the number two with my fingers is not particularly. <laughs> I, I honestly, it took me a second because I thought she was just flashing for peace. Yeah. No. Yeah. Me for we just doing deuces, y'all. Deuces. We got Chelsea Churchill down there. Yeah, for victory, y'all. It's the Great War Two electric boogaloo. Yes. Yeah. 1940 election. There's no real serious opposition to Roosevelt. There's a couple of, there's a James Laming, I believe. I think Harry Hopkins thought he was in line for the throne. What else was going on, Margie? Are you talking about the Democrats? Yes. Yeah. And, well, Jim Farley really wanted it, but Roosevelt oh, yeah. didn't really feel that he was enough of a go-getter in terms of the New Deal. So he wasn't, he wasn't really a viable candidate. Did Roosevelt considered not running for a third term or was he pretty much like no i'm gonna do this i think he considered it for a nanosecond i don't think he i don't think he was dead set on it but once the war started in 1939 i think he felt it was more or less a fait accompli that he would have to to run again he saw the smoke clouds on the horizon and said "Mm, my country needs me no one else is ready to take this on i think that's partly what it is it's ego Mm -hmm. a bit yeah. Now, I correct mean, me I if think... I'm wrong. He didn't even read. It. He didn't even announce until the convention in Chicago in 1940. Yeah, he made them. He made them draft him, um, <laughs> and so and Eleanor has to go to kind of clean it up because there's a lot of bickering. And... Well, then, a lot of that bickering is due to the vice presidential nomination, isn't it? Yeah, they didn't like Henry Wallace. Um, so, but but Roosevelt put his foot down, and well, sorry. Uh, Roosevelt decided that Henry Wallace um, was a deal breaker. If they weren't going to accept Henry Wallace, he wasn't going to uh, accept the nomination. What do you like about Henry Wallace so much? Well, he'd worked with him for a long time, and he knew that he was an ardent supporter of the New Deal. uh, And I think that was really important to him moving forward. So he trusted him. And I can't imagine the Democrats, aside from just the, I mean, aside from just the the pain of will he or won't he, once, I mean, the guy's a winner. I can't imagine the party was all that upset, like, hey, he'll win again anyway, let's do it. Yeah, there were lots of, I think, there was a lot of, like, chat about the third term and what does that mean and is that a you know is that a a move towards fascism and should we I had to imagine that there had to have been pushback um, even on both sides because it's completely unprecedented no president is except for his fifth cousin (laughs) Teddy would have Part three, pop art, and how you can be smarter as you listen to DB Comedy Presents the Electables, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So it was when we we did a little bit of brainstorming uh, as we were plotting some of our war sketches. And one of the things that struck us with mentioning all of those and oh, yeah, that guy in Germany uh with the you know the whole thing with the olympics and all of that and and all the roiling going on in europe 
that the there was there was this there was this isolationism clearly at the very least on a political level probably on a economic level but on a cultural level there you know once again the artists are ahead of the head of the game going there's something bad going over on over there at the very least we can mock them but y'all this is a this is going to be a problem I mean, Joe, I think it's, uh, you, you'll find it is largely the Jewish artists who uh, are banging this this uh, particular drum uh, between between though. between so many of the comedians, there, there uh, are a lot of the entire uh, comic industry in America. As Paul mentioned, though, there are a lot of uh, American and English authors, though, who sort of just represent anti-fascism. And Sylvia and I are both kind of, a lot of us are kind of into Hollywood history. Hollywood jumped right on the cause. Yeah, so, well, they, they yeah. I mean, there were lots of uh, movies being made even in the 1930s that were critical of the Nazis. And so when the war started and FDR encouraged Hollywood to get on board, you know, that- I don't know if they, if you would say they jumped on the cause as much as they were dragged mm -hmm. into it because even making Casablanca was considered controversial, like, oh, we don't wanna, you know, cause any grief. You know, I don't know if we should really make this movie. Well, I was just gonna say, I think once we were fully in the war, it was like any other industry where you're getting government money, you might as well take it and look patriotic. <laughs> I mean, it did save Disney with, uh, because God knows Walt was no financial genius, even though he was very creative, that the, doing those, uh, propaganda films uh and those pro pro war films did help disney's coffers yeah. although i'm sure being forced to let his uh artists unionize was not a uh, an easy thing and the warner to, brothers cartoons were much better they I mean, very famously uh you i mean you can see pictures i don't know that, that highland highland Fuhrer's face is pretty good jeff but they did go on strike early on and you don't want a bunch of cartoonists drawing your picket signs because like they're very good <laughs> mm -hmm. and they're, they're aware of being filmed for the news hey paul and chelsea speaking of books um isn't there a goodreads list that you have generated via your own research and that of our historians paul well yes there is <laughs> in, uh, here on it's in Listopia and Goodreads, called The Electricals Podcast Historical Sources, including the research that we've done for this episode, like uh, the list that uh, Margie has very kindly, kindly provided, including... Uh, let me... See. She, uh, she recommended, thank you very much, Traitor to His Class. The Privileged Life of Radical and Radical Presidency of Franklin Delano Roosevelt by H.W. Brands. She just pulled up the last hundred days. Um, that wasn't on my list, but she she had just put up on the <laughs> screen another one called The Last Hundred Days. Sorry. Last Hundred Days. Yeah. I mean, and... if you're currently adding to the list, End of Reform is one of my favorites from, but it's focused more on last episode not this one Alan yeah end of reform yes it looks like margie's looking for it on her bookshelf oh i i, yeah, I see it yeah. it's a yeah it's a classic for my other oh 
Okay. And David Michaelis's Eleanor, a uh, very not mostly it's not the most uh, detailed detailed biography of Eleanor Roosevelt, but I did enjoy it. I learned about you know her various you know adolescent adolescent ailments and her first menstrual period. So I would call that pretty detailed. Well, and it has the advantage of being one volume as opposed to Blanche Reason Cook's three volumes. So. And of course, the White House Diary of Henrietta Nesbitt. <laughs> you got you got to throw in the Henrietta Nesbitt there at least once. <laughs> You're damn right, I do. So we gotta put that uh put that Boiled in the show lamb, notes. Anybody, Joe? <laughs> Pardon me. Gotta put that in the show notes for our audience to uh, to check out the sure the book list. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll put the link up. Yeah, we'll put the links up and we'll get them in our uh, our Facebook page, our Facebook pages, DB Comedy and Democracy Burlesque, since we're plugging things. Because <laughs> that oh. was Paul's book club. <laughs> this time it Paul actually and book club. notes. And also Chelsea's book club. This time it's actually a list. <laughs> DB Comedy presents The Electables. This episode's sketches were written, produced, and performed. By Gina Bocola, Sandy Baikowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Joy, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, and Tommy Spears. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production by Joseph Fedorko. Sound effects procured at freesound.org. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.org, the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax-deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the Electables, visit DB Comedy's host page on Simplecast.com. Follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy or Democracy Burlesque, join us on the Trident Network, and listen to us on World Perspectives Radio Chicago on Live365.com and Hard Lens Media. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to like.